following program is pre-recorded. Morning, Glory America. Hugh Hewitt here. I'm not actually there. I'm in Hawaii on vacation. But I pre-recorded this hour with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, before I left because I wanted to exploit, and it is exploitation, his knowledge of Great Britain generally and Winston Churchill specifically to illumine what is going on in Ukraine immediately. And he and I began that conversation last week, and we are continuing it now. Dr. Arn, where we left off last week... We have to be prudent. We have to take our our actions, our, our direction in the United States based upon what we can really accomplish and on the national security interest of Americans. And the lesson last week was build more weapons right now. That's Do you it. realize they are actually proposing to take the amount that we give to Ukraine out of our defense budget? The Democrats are. It's the party of Kennedy has fallen apart. Yeah, it's not. And see, just remember, we are a deeply divided country. You know, uh, there are interesting things that both uh, Putin and and Xi of Xi of China have said about us. They they think that we have a contagion. Yes, they do. Destroying us, and they don't want it in their countries. Uh, 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 Putin has has uh, compared radical liberalism, which is strong in America. It's not dominant, but it's strong to the things that to which Russia succumbed in 1917 with the Bolshevik Revolution. And that means that they those countries say that they fear us because we may infect them with this. And see, that means that's not America, the light to the world. America is being shunned by tyrants and they're tyrants, of course, and that's, you know, terrible people, but they may be right about that point. And they, and see, our weakness, and it comes from the divisions in our politics, which are very serious. And, and uh, so one thing to think about this, it's a very important thing to think about, is what does all this mean for Taiwan? Uh, because China is apparently poised to go. Taiwan is an old friend. It's populated. It was settled by the people who lived there already and by the people who escaped from Mao and the anti-communist forces that were defeated, by the way, with the help of Stalin. And, and, uh, and that's where the semiconductor industry is centered. I mean, it's more of it, I think, in Taiwan than in China, but certainly very much of it there. And it's interesting... Uh, those big Taiwanese companies, especially what is Taiwan Semiconductor, I think is the name of it, they're building big plants in the United States now. Arizona. And they're worried, right? And so uh, it is important to deter this, if we can, as a lesson to China. Well, that's that is, Tom, you hope that they... always saying. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, so there are two things that come to mind. And the first is... You got to be on the side of the Ukrainians, right? They're just, you know, they have a right to govern themselves. Everyone does. Uh, the second thing is, there may be a powerful American interest to do as much as we can, if especially it 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 uh, it impresses she. But of course, that's an imponderable right because maybe what this is going to do is further drive the Russians into the hands of the Chinese, and they are allied with them now. 
And that is a dangerous alliance to us. In fact, um, as I left for Hawaii, uh, the report was coming out that Chinese companies are scrambling, eager to serve as middlemen to circumvent Western sanctions, acquire the imports Russian businesses need, and then transact them. Because we're afraid of China, Dr. Arndt. We've we've allowed ourselves. The new axis is Iran, Russia, and China. Right. And that's the reality of the world. And we are, I think we're just replaying Britain in the early 30s and middle 30s when they they were exhausted, right? Seems to me that's right. And, you know, by the way, are you going to have effective sanctions on China when Germany is the strong? I'm sorry, in Italy, when Germany is the strongest power in Europe? They didn't work, right? And And we... We forget that we're not as strong as we were. And that was bound to happen, by the way, because of the rise of China, because it's a very big place and very productive. I would guess, by the way, that uh, if challenged, that is to say, if we got our house in order and grew our economy and let people live in peace and freedom, that would put a lot of pressure on them. And there is a lot of pressure on them, because you always have to remember in the back of your mind, that tyrannies have trouble sustaining themselves because people don't like it. And it's as old as Aristotle, this. And, and then he goes on to say in book five of the politics, he says, how do they sustain themselves? Because once in a while they last a long time. Mostly they don't. And he, it's just chilling when you read it. It's just a portent of 1984 in the modern totalitarian novels. He says they do it by basically dehumanizing their citizens. They break them up into bits, they refuse friendship, they don't let associations grow, and they're constantly under observation. Well, that's what China is doing to the maximum extent it can to its people. And we see in Russia uh, the ruthless arrest. I, I, I will never forget the arrest and brutal treatment of a survivor of the siege of Leningrad, now St. Petersburg, a, a little old Babushka lady. Uh, in Leningrad now, St. Petersburg, being hustled off by Putin's thugs because she was holding a sign uh, declaiming against the invasion of Ukraine. They, yeah. He is a dictator. That's right. Yeah, and that's, and, and you know, another thing is, when in the history of Russia was there not a dictator? You know, the Soviet Union was worst, and... I think I think it's probable that Putin is not as bad as that. His body count is not up to 15 million. But the, uh, the Soviet Union is a different kind of dictatorship because it was driven by a utopian and universal ideology and deployed all the means of science. That that would not be a description of what Putin is. He's just a dangerous strong man. And that's a very dangerous thing, but not the most. That would actually be a closer description of Xi. I, I think yeah, I agree with that. I think Putin is actually in a fragile situation. If we deploy the remaining economic uh, arsenal of America and the West, as is happening led by Europeans, but we're holding back. The Europeans have delisted their companies. They've crashed the ruble. They've seized the yachts. We're doing everything like two weeks after the Europeans do it. Uh, when we're shamed into it. Uh, and the private sector is shunning Russia as well. It's not got anything to do with kinetic combat. It's got everything to do with morals. Uh, and, you know, it's possible that the... So that's that's true. And by the way, these 
things that you can do in the international banking system are very formidable. Yes, they are. And, you know, one might fear them a little bit. But, but have they repealed the law that ultimately the power is the power to harm or kill? And, and you know, it's... And see, what does it take to be a strong nation? Any entity, any organism, Hillsdale College, what does it take to be strong? It needs to be very good at its work, and it needs to generate for support for that work as it goes along. That's why the free market is so powerful. It enlists everyone in the strength of the nation at the same time as they serve their own interest. Uh, China has found an innovative way to kind of harness some of that, and yet they're, you know, it's always there. How much do we let go and how much do we keep control? And it's a balance, and it's a difficult balance for them. And I, that's why I think under pressure, they will prove to be weaker than they seem. But it requires pressure. And, it does, and, and, and that means we need to be strong, right? It, it, uh, we need our, you know, we need not to be head over heels in debt. We need our economy to grow. We need taxes to be low. And, you know, if you just look at the Constitution of the United States, what is the federal government for? There are uh, 17 clauses in Article One, Section 8, and nine of them concern national defense. And we're spending more money than we've ever spent, and we don't have enough ships. Right. We don't even have close to enough ships. Right. Not, we're, we're at half the level of the Navy that we need for the world in which we live. That's it. And so, so this, and, and just remember that fact, that's a change in the world of fundamental import. And it's what makes possible this mess in the Ukraine. When we come back, America, I promised you Churchill, and we'll get to it. But we're also going to go back to Athens and to Sparta and the Melian Dialogue. Don't go anywhere. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. Every single conversation going back nine years. There are like 500 of them now. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues you can find by Googling iTunes and Hillsdale Dialogue, and they all pop up in order. I'll be right back with Dr. Arn. be only one or two people in the beltway who can actually tell the truth you're listening to one of them the truth continues when hugh hewitt returns in a moment welcome back america i had a great high school but i did not have a uh, a class in thucydides until i got to harvard it was the first day though that stanley hoffman taught me and he taught out of thucydides the peloponnesian wars the melian dialogue where the Melians appeal to Sparta about Athens, while you were at home, they are constantly abroad. Uh, and they were appealing to the worries that, that Sparta was not aware of what Athens was up to. Do you think the United States is aware, Dr. Arne, President of Hillsdale College, of what China and Russia are up to, and Iran, for that matter? Well, one good thing about this is uh, it's taken our gaze off our navels. <laughs> you know, we're thinking about the world again. Finally. And that is the prime job of the federal government of the United States. It, it, the federal government has never been any good at educating a child. First of all, it doesn't understand the child. It thinks the child is a creature of it. Uh, 
but uh, but it's been really good at defending the country, which is the main. It's it, it's actually was built for three things. It was built for defending the country. It was built for guaranteeing a national system of free commerce across the state boundaries, and it was built for operating on the land it needs to own any land, see, and operating on the land it needs to operate on, so post offices and stuff like that, roads. So uh, it, because it does everything, everything is a national issue, and because it's mired in bureaucracy, it's slow to act. And that's not good. And it's forgotten those first purposes. I have in my hand a, a uh, advanced copy. It's an old advanced copy because the book was published. To provide and maintain a Navy by uh, retired Navy Captain Jerry Hendricks. To provide and maintain a Navy is in the Constitution. Yeah. Uh, and we haven't done that. Uh, in the meantime, we've shut down the national economy. We've mandated, because uh, the Supreme Court struck it down, but it had screw-up effects anyway, knock-on effects of uh, mandates across the United States shutting down the economy, but we haven't provided a ma- and maintained a Navy, and we're still not providing. We've got 280 ships, but it's like I said, it's half of what we need. Yeah, and that, see, uh, it, if you can't give priority to that, right, then, you know, uh, if, you know, climate change might be everything everybody says. It isn't an imminent threat, and there are imminent and those are of a familiar kind, right? Well, that, that, that brings us back to Churchill in the 30s and the opposition. Why would Stanley Baldwin and then Neville Chamberlain not listen to him? Uh, it's, it, it was a form of the, of the things that afflict us today. Uh, first of all, the First World War was the, the worst thing that happened in the modern world until the Second World War. And it made everybody fear the First World War and uh, Second World War. And so they thought maybe they could just refuse to participate. Uh, Stanley Baldwin, who was, uh, you know, I don't think he was as good a man as Neville Chamberlain, who was a good man. He just very misguided. Baldwin was uh, very sophisticated. And he had a strategy for the, for the, uh, the world that's just like the strategy he worked on Winston Churchill multiple times to always outmaneuver him. He said, we will let the Russians fight the Nazis, and that'll take care of it, right? It's 1936, when a deputation of people went to see him, called the defense of a deputation, uh, because pressure was building. Churchill was getting the pressure built, and so he received the dep- deputation, which, of course, covered in the press. And... Churchill's comment on what Baldwin said was, too easy to be good. <laughs> and, and, you know, 50 years ago, Richard Nixon, my mentor, said, we will let the Chinese counter the Soviets. That was good 50 years ago. Look what happened. They flipped the, the script on us. The Chinese and the Russians are now against us. And I don't know that we know that, Doctor. We're on 30 seconds to the break. We need allies. Sure. Those are important. But we need to be strong ourselves so we can get the best allies. When we come back, we're going to tell you about Churchill in the bunker, because that's what Zelensky's in. And I hope he's still alive. We taped this a week ago. I hope he's still alive. They're trying to kill him. Churchill, I mean, Hitler tried to kill Churchill. Didn't work. 
Uh, men of courage can sometimes go down, but, but sometimes they survive. We'll talk about that when we return. Don't go anywhere, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. You're in the middle of a non-stop action-packed information blitz. The Hugh Hewitt Show is coming right back. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. Uh, Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, it's part two of a two-part reflection on Ukraine and President Zelensky following in the in the footsteps of great men of courage. I hope he's still alive by the time this airs. Dr. Arn, Hitler hated no one like he hated Churchill. I mean, he hated a lot of people, but he really hated Churchill. And Putin really hates Zelensky. He sent Chechen commandos to kill him. Two groups. They've both been eliminated as of our talking. Uh, and Zelensky gets offered a, a lift out of Kiev. He says, I don't need to ride. I need ammunition. It's the kind of thing that people don't forget. What, what do you make of Zelensky? Well, of course, one must pray for him, right? It, it, he, as I said at the beginning of this last week, he's, he's a wild card. He's a, and, you know, they're always wild card, by the way. That's, uh, hi, history is unpredictable. Uh, and this guy, he just, he's, he's brave. And he has moral courage, right? I mean, he, he's brave because he personally is under threat. But also moral courage, right? Because the obvious thing to do is run for your life. And, uh, and you know, the Russians would probably pay him if he was willing to do that. And because, and, uh, you know, Putin is a, he, he probably has made disastrous decisions here, and it, it will probably cost him a lot. Uh, but, you have to, but you have to understand those decisions because they're not simply irrational. <clears throat> Russia's largest or second largest naval base is in the Crimea. And if you just draw a line, from Moscow to the Crimea, it goes through the Ukraine. And so that's, you know, that matters, right? And, and if it's true that the Russians are and are likely to remain a great people, then you're looking for a solution where Ukraine gets to be free with the proviso that it will not be an enemy of Russia. And that's how buffer states survive when they survive. And I fear that we have encouraged them to something more re- reckless and, you know, that's, that's all, you know, me knowing a fair amount about history and stuff. But you can't read history and predict this particular man, Zelensky. I mean, there are people like him, wild cards, I'm calling them today. Uh, and so, wow. Well, when, when their interior minister says to Ukrainian hunters and Jaegers, pick up your rifles and go shoot Russians, that's French resistance time. That's genuine courage to do that because you're going to get shot. You're going to the, the yeah. firepower is overwhelming, Our but they're going to do it. Right. And and, you know, this is a little bit like, well, it's, it's like in some important respects, the 1930s. Right. There were these causes that that, uh, you know, the, the Western governments were not doing enough about Hitler. And there were these causes that erupted and people were going from. America and Britain and France and all kinds of places to go volunteer in the Spanish-American War. I mean, sorry, the Spanish Civil War. And, you know, there was, there was a mess going on everywhere in the world, and people volunteered to try to help. Americans signed up for the RAF. That's right. 
lot of them, right? And and this, you know, this student of ours, right? What a noble guy! And I, I I'm touched by that because he was raised on freedom. Uh, For so, people who did not hear last week, did you keep the letter? Can you repeat it? Yeah, uh, he's reporting from Lvov, the city in the uh, in the Ukraine. It'll become the heart of the free Ukraine state if one survives. That's right. The nation is united like never before, and we are kicking Russian asses. I get to say that word on Hugh Hewitt. He, he's writing to his economics professor and yeah, mentor Charles at Hilton. Yeah, great man. Here in Lvov, the military is overwhelmed with volunteers, so I couldn't even sign up with the territorial defense. They are simply turning people away without the military experience. I'm going to military training with a private military organization to get himself ready. Hmm. I thought we would be run over in two days but the Russian, by the Russian army, but our military did an amazing job. And we are extremely proud, we Ukrainians. Uh, please spread the word about the carpet bombing of civilians among people in Washington. We really need to kick the Russians out of the airspace. This will reduce civilian casualties and demolish their advancement chances. On the ground, they are biting the dust. NATO has nothing to worry about. All we need is their defensive capabilities, and the war and Russian regime will be over with in, a, in no time. Well, the Russian regime may be. Just, I, I, Russia will not be. Right. Right. And so we need to look for a solution here. That, and we should have been doing it for 20 years, Right. We, we, when the Soviet Union collapsed, in one way it's forgivable, right, that we had been in a death, uh, not a struggle, but chess match with them since 1945. And, and then they fall apart, right? Uh, we might have been as wise as Winston Churchill, who would remember that behind uh, Stalin and that madness that broke out in 1917, there was a great nation with interest and tendencies that can be estimated. And so a lasting solution would provide for those. You know, Rod Dreher, who's a, a great public intellectual, has cautioned against hating Russians. And I agree with him on that. I don't hate Russians. I think we have to collapse the economy of the regime in order to remove the regime. That's, and that will be painful for ordinary Russians, but not as painful as children being blown up in Kiev. So I, it is a, a difficult situation for your student and I wonder what the professor wrote him back. Uh, is, is it possibly wrote him back? We need to do everything we can short of having American aircraft shoot down Russian aircraft, because that's a war that we don't want, because it takes us back to Cuba in 1962, which neither you nor I remember, but which those who do say was the scariest damn time ever. We, yeah. we can't do that. I don't know what Charles wrote him back, but I, I, I know what he wrote to me. So first of all, he took the step that he thought would help get the word out about this. He sent it to me. And you're reading it on the air twice. And I have uh, fulfilled my obligation there, except, you know, there's more obligations remaining. I, you know, I, I, would, uh, I would make it priority, short of sacrificing the security of the United States, to preserve that guy Zelensky while we find out what he is, right? Because he seems to be a heck of a thing. And, and, uh, and, you know, he, he could be a force to unite the Ukraine into something sober and strong and also self-restrained, right? Because you're up against a nation with, what is it, 250 million Russians and not many Ukrainians. And Ukraine is a very divided country. 
So, and see, this is, we're, we're, we're talking about now the things that have vexed Europe throughout the modern world. There's a lot of little countries all up against each other. And like the Serbs and the Croats, they can't get along. And one of them uses, they understand each other when they speak. The one of them uses the Russian alphabet and they're Russian Orthodox, and the others are Catholics and use the Latin alphabet. And that doesn't sound like much of a difference, but gosh, it's been a hell of a problem there. And Europe is riven with those things. And, you know, the, the reason what has pacified it, to the extent it's ever been pacified, is the overwhelming and benignant power of the United States of America. And we need to concentrate on restoring that power. That, that to me, is the takeaway. It, none of our allies will survive unless we are strong. And that's what Great Britain... Nobody survived unless Great Britain survived. They managed to, by the thinnest of margins, right? By turning out aircraft in a last-ditch effort. Uh, and we can do that. If, if uh, see... Churchill, he was a very rare man, right? And because of his experience, because of his capacious mind, he sort of carried around in his mind knowledge of what it takes to fight a great world war. And, you know, that's huge. And so he's, beginning in the 1930s, he's looking for allies because he can see what might happen. And the first place he looks is the United States, and we are aloof. And Chamberlain won't talk to us much, won't woo us, as Churchill did. And then he also looks to the Soviet Union. And so you need some great force to moderate, and, you know, there will always be problems, to moderate these contentions that can explode into world war. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how Churchill did that in our last segment. He got on a plane a lot. Uh, the man went everywhere at all times during the war and before the war. I don't think our present leadership has the energy, actually, to do that, nor the inclination. We'll talk about what to do next. What would Churchill do uh, in the final segment of this two-part series on Ukraine, Churchill, and Putin on the Hilldale Dialogue? This is The Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arnn. Uh, we taped this last week before I went on vacation, so it, I hope nothing terrible has happened other than the expected continued devastation of Ukraine. Dr. Arn, I, I watched Joe Biden give the State of the Union. I pray for the president every day, but but he's an old man. He's 79 years old. And it was a bad speech, and nobody can make it other than a bad speech. And he has a bad leadership team that is appeasing Iran as we speak and is not doing enough vis-a-vis -vis China or Russia Honestly, how, how do we get through the next three years? What do you say to yourself? Because it's like Jimmy Carter. I was with Nixon when Carter was around out in San Clemente in, in 78, 79, and 80. He would just shake his head in his exile at what Carter was doing. And this is worse. You know, we, uh, we are caught, uh, well, a segment of the American population, and it tends to be a lot of them are highly placed. We're caught in a utopian vision, right? We can remake the world. And reality has a way of reminding us, right? So we don't need oil anymore. We can move beyond it. And we close down the pipeline, and we discourage fracking, and we become an oil-importing nation again in two years, having been an exporting nation before that. Fifteen months, actually. Fifteen months. And now we're scrambling for oil all over the world. And we want to... We 
uh, stop Putin, and we need him, right? And that's, in other words, we didn't look to our own independence and strength. And, and that's what we have to do. And then, you know, and then we have to do right within the, the realm of possibility. And now, now, Churchill lurked on the edges of the conflict. Do you see anyone out there lurking on the edges of the Republican Party who can do what Reagan did, 76, 77, 78, 79, which was move about the country and encourage people to be strong? Well, you know, there's some good people, right? Tom Cotton... Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, I got my favorites, but never mind who they are. Mike Pompeo, let's just put in Mike yeah, Pence, yeah, let's name them. Tim and, Scott. And, yeah, and they're, Scott. you know, maybe those three are right, you know, but I don't. I, you sir, we're in Switzerland. We're in Switzerland. Yeah. And remember, we also have the luxury of not being in power. And so that means we can think more broadly. We ought not to cover up our mistakes and be responsible for what we say, but we, you know, and so we don't have to take a position about that right now, and it would be foolish to do it because there's going to be a campaign, and that's going to be very revealing. And, you know, I mean, maybe somebody, because, you know, the Democratic Party is in the throes right now. There are huge contentions inside it. And maybe that'll, something good will emerge there, one hopes and prays. Uh, and... You know, but it's, we are caught up in a web of interest that deploy enormous money and power and look to that all the time and take care of that. And that means the public interest suffers. And the, the aforementioned Senator Cotton, as we are taping this a week ago, tweeted out, President Biden won't act because President Biden won't act. We are still in capital buying Russian oil. Today, we will send tens of million dollars to Putin to fund his invasion. Biden needs to stop dithering and sanction Russian energy now. And this is, of course, skyrocketing on Twitter. Cotton is clear in the way that Churchill was clear. And Pompeo has been clear in the others. We're not picking favorites here. But clarity is a great virtue when people are scared, Larry Arn. Yeah, and that's, you know, it, uh, you can only produce results like that. I'm, you know, the ones that I like in the race, whoever they are, I'm in, impressed with how hard they've been thinking, right? Because, and they're they're not just thinking how to win an election. They're thinking, what is the purpose of America? How does it operate? What must we preserve? How do we go about it? In other words, they've got deep and big thoughts, and there's a lot of that now, and I pray that it will flourish. And we will see a new birth of freedom in America. That's what we need. That'll be the third time. Maybe the fourth time if you count the Reagan restoration. But I really, I really do not know if we have, if we can, are we exhausted? I don't think we are, but are, do you worry that we are? No, it's not. See, uh, Churchill teaches you to think, he teaches you to think about hard facts and not ignore them. But he also teaches you to think that all the facts are not known. And so uh. it's a mistake to think in trends. You should think about choices, because they, you know, in these Churchill rights will be revealed the profound significance of human choice and the sublime responsibility of men. What we do is the thing under our control and also the most important thing. Where did, where did he say that or write that? We have 30 seconds. What's that? Oh, problem? that's beautiful. That's in uh, 
the first chapter of the second volume of the world crisis. That is, repeat that as we go out to break. That's just beautiful. Uh, although this account pretends to, to deal only with a partial aspect of the immense theme, here will be found the unraveling thread. Along the footsteps, along the pathway where footsteps are decisive, who knows when he may set a stone rolling or take or omit some ordinary step that changes everything. In this is revealed the profound significance of human choice and the sublime responsibility of men. Cannot improve on that. Dr. Larry Arn, Hillsdale College. Thank you. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. I'll be back on Monday, America, with the next Hugh Hewitt Show. When you absolutely, positively need the truth, this is where you turn. This is the Hugh Hewitt Show.